0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting,
1: fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning again, folks. This is Kirk Dieter actually filling in for Terry Wickstrom on 104.3 The Fan. It's great honor to be able to do this but it's one of the things that's really nice is that i learn as we go uh i'm taking notes copious notes and one of the guys that i take notes from the most is nate zelinski nate are you with us i am how are you sir i'm doing very well thanks you know i was cruising down uh, highway 285 and i think i i went by you it's it's hard not to recognize you when you you drive by.
0: <laughs> definitely i was down the hill this morning uh yeah the old uh the fort does not stick uh does not blend in i should say very well so That's i know good. i love it <laughs> I,
1: I know i know the wave next time i see you hey listen you're, you're talking today you want to talk about ice fishing and i'm i'm from wisconsin originally so uh, you know this is this is culturally important to me but uh, maybe give us the primer on what to do and, and what do you, what you see going on and what's your forecast Absolutely,
0: you know We just kind of like to talk about it early, and I got to say there's so much uh, involvement around the ice fishing industry nowadays, and again, I know there's people listening here that say, hey, I've been ice fishing for 50 years, it's nothing new. Um, but there's no doubt, you know, we had some major advancements in the sport about 15 years ago with, you know, way better flasher graphs and better LCDs you can use in the winter. So 15 years ago, we had a major advancement in technology. In the last couple of years, we've had kind of another advancement with uh, the combination of live view transducers, so your LCD screens are more accurate. Uh, and then you top that off with the, kind of the innovations of electric augers and things like that, but regardless, the ice fishing is exploding here in Colorado. We're seeing the, the trends of the ice sport growing uh, like it did in the Midwest, same thing, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I think we're at something like anywhere between 22 and 27 percent new ice anglers a season here in Colorado, so um, there's no doubt the sport is blowing up, and I think it's for a lot of reasons. One, I think the gear's better. It's easier to stay warm. It's easier to, to make it not a miserable Sport. Um, it's also very affordable, and I think that's one of the biggest things. It really is is growing, and um, you know, you can spend hundred thousand dollars on the most capable tournament bass boat, but you flip that around on the ice, and you could have every piece of gear you ever dreamed of for for twenty five hundred bucks. So it really evens the, the playing field. And uh, again, I think it's just a, a huge advancement in the sport. So we wanted to talk about that, and I will say that there's a lot of anglers that just live for the ice. You know, these are guys that literally in July, they're spooling up rods and they are getting excited for the season. And Obviously your retailers are putting ice gear out earlier and earlier, just because people are asking for it. They want the gear. They want to get set up. Um, I will tell you that I love being on my boat. This time of year, um, trust me, I'm out walleye fishing. I'm out catching these big, giant, smallmouth. I honestly hate to see the boat go away because fishing is so good now. Um, So I'm not one of those guys. I used to chase ice. I used to hike up to the high country, and I'd be the first one looking for ice. Now I kind of hang on to my boat a little longer than normal just because of the opportunities of some of the fish that we're catching. But – again we're down to the final couple weeks for the boat whether they they kick us off the water um, due to the fact that they're just closing the the a and s situation and closing the boating season um, and or the ice is here we really are approaching that time to where there's a lot of guys on a lot of the normal bodies of water in the high country right now um you know we formed ice you know basically on halloween i thought it was going to be short-lived and it is hanging around a lot longer than i thought it was going to yeah Um, so we have
1: That that leads me to an important question, right? The transition of seasons and so forth. It's obviously safety is a concern. When do we know for sure that we can get out there and so on and so forth? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, and that—that's the thing that
0: you know. Again, everybody gets excited, so we want to hit the ice early. And you know, when it comes to safety, there's so much to, to to do. Number one obviously ice is the biggest thing that you're concerned with and the quality of that ice. And, uh, you know, Terry and I talk about this, and we talk about this to a lot of anglers and everybody gets hung up on thickness, which at times thickness is a major role of if the ice is safe or not. Um, But the biggest thing is ice quality. So me personally, I look at quality of ice more so than thickness of ice. If you have ice that forms fast. So like we had this year, like, uh, you know, in that Halloween, we had those temperatures dropping down to negative 10, negative 15 in the high country. We build, you know, two and a half, three inches of ice a night in those type situations. So there's no air bubbles in it. There's no wind pushing pressure on the top of it. You literally are building the highest quality ice you possibly can. Then the next night you add more to that. So you have clear ice. Um, very minimal layers, and and it is very good. So again, the the clearer and better quality your ice is, the more strength it has, and therefore the less you need to stand on. Um, again, so there's times when you have good hard ice. Uh, I'm not saying to walk on this, but there's times where good hard clear ice, especially early in the year like we are right now, to where three inches of ice is as strong as, say, six, seven inches of poorly built ice. So if you have ice that, you know, builds a half inch at night and then you get some melting during the day, then you get more ice on top of it um, and then you get some UV breaking it down, then you get some moisture on top and this ice forms in a lot of layers and you have a lot of disturbances in that ice. Um, it's not near as strong as the ice that forms as fast. So, again, more so than a number, it's about that quality of ice. So as you're drilling the hole, you're looking at that ice. You want to want your shavings the same color. You want the same texture the entire way. Um, when I use a spud bar, which is my safety tool, um, as I walk, I slam an ice chisel down. Once you spend enough time with a spud bar, you get to know just by the feel and the sound of it. So I can literally walk on the ice. I can slam that spud bar down, and I can give you a very good indication of the the thickness, of the quality of that ice before even drilling a hole because you get so used to to how it sounds, how it feels. You can feel that hard ice versus the the softer ice. Um, So, again, quality is everything. And right now we built ice again at at the first part of the month. Now we're getting into a warming trend, so we're actually going to start getting a little bit of ice rot. It's not going to be much. But regardless, this is one of those things that – the ice that held you two weeks ago when it was 100% clear is now going to be a little bit deteriorating just because we're having some warmer days. So don't get hung up on the thickness as much as just keep checking the quality, quality. of that ice. And that's the biggest thing.
1: So, where would you have people head out early in the season? Where, where do you think this.
0: You know, I mean, the, the, again, chasing those conditions and what I scouted for ice two days ago could be a hundred percent open water now. So we really, I, I hate sending people places, but generally speaking, when you talk about your first places to freeze, obviously the higher you go in elevation, the better ice you're going to get, you know, so guys are hiking in, uh, to a lot of those high country lakes for for brook trout and things like that. Uh, but then, as you talk about, as we go forth in the season, so as we keep getting on and on, you we start getting into late November, early December. Terryall is a place that has minimal wind, a lot of shadowing, cold temps in a valley. So we see Terryall really being a, a good place to to start on some good ice. Georgetown typically has some good early ice opportunities. Evergreen Lake has some good early ice opportunities. Um, So when I'm looking for places to head out, I'm looking for smaller bodies of water. I'm looking for bodies of water that are are less prone to having wind conditions. Um, And then, obviously, the the more tucked in they are to where they're not getting as exposed to sunlight, uh, those type areas are going to be key. Um, And then as far as safety goes, again, you know, so many people say that no ice is safe. But, again, if you look in retrospect – we're far more susceptible to having a situation getting in our car, driving to the lake than we are once we're actually on the ice. The ice is probably the safest place to be in this world. Um, But regardless, to to, to be safe, carrying that spud bar is huge. So having a spud bar to check the ice on every step. If you get the right spud bar, which the right spud bar is heavy. A lot of guys avoid the heavy spud bars because, again, it's a lot of work. But, you know, I'm carrying a a very heavy spud bar um, to where when I slam my spud bar down, I penetrate almost exactly three inches of ice. So when I slam that spud bar and I go through three inches of ice, I know on good, clear, hard ice, three inches will hold me. I'm not saying I want to fish on three inches. I'm not saying I want to set a shelter up on three inches. But I know that I can stand on it. So as long as I slam that spud bar down hard, I know I'm on ice that will hold me up. Now, if all of a sudden I slam that spud bar and it goes all the way through, I know, hey. Red flag. Let's back up. Let's evaluate the situation. So a spud bar is huge. Then clothing nowadays. You know, I wear thing. I, I wear ice armor by Clam. So I'm wearing a suit that floats. So if I ever were to go through, I have the warmest gear possible, and it is going to keep me up to where I'm not going to sink. So things like that are a huge safety uh, opportunity to wear. You're going to have to wear the clothes anyways. So you might as well be wearing a suit that's going to keep you floating uh, and a sent you up. So that's a, a major thing. Uh, um, obviously, fishing with a buddy, having ropes, having ice spikes to claw your way out, all those things are, are little simple things to be safe. But again, evaluating the ice conditions and carrying the spud bar are the two biggest things I think that's going to keep you uh, in the best situation when you're out there on the ice.
1: So what do you think is... Um... As far as the fish and the fishing itself is concerned, you got an outlook for this year? You think it's going to be a good Absolutely. year? Absolutely. You
0: know, the, the thing we talk about is we always talk about planning your season. Everybody gets excited and, and looks at opportunities, and, and I kind of time everything accordingly. So I hit, you know, the, the fish that are most vulnerable early, and then I kind of just taper on with that. So I really kind of plan that. So for me personally, um, you know, I'm going to put my boat away here in, you know, about 12, 13, 14 days. Um, and one of the first places I hit is Antero. So right now, now, your browns are still in that kind of post-spawn state. Your kokanee are just getting wrapping up spawning. Um, And anytime that you have a, a fall spawning fish, you deal with these fish in shallow water losing their eggs. And it really kind of throws the whole scheme of things off. So you have browns up shallow you have kokanee up shallow you have big rainbows up shallow feeding on these eggs but either way the, the patterns are changing daily so if you were up there on the ice when it first formed this year you're catching fish but i would wouldn't say it's epic fishing. It really takes until about the first week of December, maybe, uh, you know, that even starting into that second week of December when everything gets into a well post-spawned state and all the fish go into their normal patterns. And I love normal patterns. As a guide, I have to be able to count on my bite. I don't want to have to chase things around. So by that first week of December, uh, a lot of those browns and coconut, you know, the coconut are going to fade out the ones that have already spawned. Your browns are going to retreat to deeper water and all your fish go to their normal spots the normal spots for antero is is going to be associating around weed lines they're going to be feeding sure. on scuds on those thicker weeds so hanging out on those weed lines you can set up you're going to catch fish all day long and it's very consistent and that's what we like as an ice angler to, to be able to predict the bite stay on fish um, and build patterns going to help us catch more and bigger fish every time we go on the ice so wow. early ice big rainbows like an antero going up to the delaney's you know lake john all of those type fisheries uh coming up early december are to be very predictable as a good
1: fishing area nobody predicts it better than you do nate i appreciate your time today and absolutely uh, look forward to catching up with you again if not on highway 285 certainly on the water someplace
0: we got to do that. And, again, if anybody wants more information on ice fishing, I have got an entire day of seminars at Bass Pro Shops Denver next week, and I'm actually doing kind of a crazy thing. Uh, everybody watches the normal hour seminar, and they, they watch the whole thing. But some of it, I don't want to say it's fluff, but it's information on the entire species. I have a down and dirty seminar. I believe it starts at noon. You can go to our Facebook page to see it. But I am doing 15 minutes of the fine-tuning of each species. I'm doing awesome. 15 minutes on walleye, 15 minutes on lake trout, 15 on pike, awesome. 15 on trout, everything you just need to know to catch more fish. we would love to invite everybody out to Bass Pro next week to uh, check out that seminar. All
1: right, we'll be there. Thank you very much, Nate, right. and we'll talk to you talk next you time. All right, bud. All right, Kirk Dieter again filling in for Terry Wickstrom on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, 104.3 The Fan. You're
0: listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises,
1: Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. You are actually listening to Kirk Dieter filling in for Terry Wickstrom on the Terry Wickstrom Outdoor Show. One oh four three the fan, and I'm joined right now by my good friend Russ Miller. Russ, how you doing? Doing wonderful. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, thanks for hanging in there. Russ is a member of Team USA fly fishing. And I gotta tell i admit straight up, Russ, when I go fly fishing, I go so I don't care about anything. I don't know how can I can manage the stress of competing on a world stage like that. How do you do it?
0: You just go and you go fishing like you would on your local creek.
1: And just have fun, huh?
0: Just have fun. If you do anything with a smile on your face, it all becomes easy. And, you know, you look at the, the world's best athletes that are true athletes, not not anglers, but right. um, you, watch, you watch the marathon runners crossing the finish line after 26 miles. They've got a big smile on their face. They're happy to do what they're doing. It's the same thing when we go out competing we're just very focused on converting bites into fish landed. Yeah. That's one thing that we don't worry about when we go out recreationally fishing like, oh, lost one, no big deal. Um on a, on a on a competitive scale, that's where things really change like, oh, that was that could have been a big deal.
1: That's not that's not a good not a good feeling when that happens. Yes. So you're on your way to Tasmania. Um island state off the mainland of uh to the south side of mainland australia i happen to have been there it was last year at this time when i was there um just another week or so it's basically the same time that the world i gotta tell you russ that was the most extraordinary place i've ever seen or fished um it's amazing you are in for something else
0: and uh from all the research we've been doing which we obviously do quite a bit uh it looks to be just fabulous um one of the things i think i'm personally most excited about tasmania maybe Two things. One, I think that might be one of the most remote places I'll have ever gone. Uh, yeah. It's a huge plane ride. There's not a lot of infrastructure on the island. Very few anglers, uh, non-resident per year. Yep. Um, and then the second thing, most of these championships we end up doing, you know, you fly across the world and uh, and you end up going and you you, you catch – stocked fish a lot of stocked fish because they want the waters to be full of fish for the anglers traveling over internationally and so they put a lot of stocked fish in which eh, I, I think i think that's not the reason i pick up a fly rod to go catch a stalker so Tasmania is super unique in the fact that it's uh it's all wild fish that are that are managed in a very unique way um which I think is going to make for a fabulous championship.
1: It's, it's the most extraordinary spot, and the, the history is amazing. They've been It's where the first brown trout were introduced from England in 1864, and uh, I actually did a story on it called My Time in Oz. It's in the summer issue of Trout Magazine, if anyone wants to check that out. Um, it was a life changer for me, and I'm sure it will be for you. How do you, are you. Are you, like, what, doing crunches or sit-ups or squats? <laughs> I mean, what do you do, man? Are you casting? Tell me.
0: Uh, I spend a lot of time behind the rod. Uh, That's always helpful. Um, I'm going over as our lake specialist.
1: So at this championship,
0: uh, there are five venues. Three of them are lakes, and I'll be going over and exclusively fishing the lakes. So really from, I don't know, it's been June on, I've almost been exclusively fishing lakes uh, here in Colorado and some of Wyoming. But, um, but yeah, I spend a lot of time behind the rod
1: which is really important for any angler, right? We are so um, conditioned to want to go fishing on the river, right? But the more time you spend on lakes, the more you learn, the more you teach yourself, the nuances are, is so much more. Um, technically it's small things make such huge difference. And and uh, so there's a reason that you're the lake specialist. You're, you're the best angler, I would assume. Um, at least you are in my mind. It's, it's a a tall compliment. They just gave you that you're the catcher on the baseball team or the quarterback on the on the football team.
0: Yeah. All right. Well. Well. Uh, it's <laughs> it's certainly fun for me to have that level of focus where you can just go over there and like, you know, we end up bringing each member of the team. There's six of us that go that make up the the world team, and uh, each member brings a small fly shop worth of worth of tying materials and rods and real. I mean, like it's unbelievable what we unpack out of our bags and set up for our two weeks down there. And it's really nice to kind of edit all your river stuff out, like nothing but lake gear. Uh, so for me, that's, that's a really nice focus. Um, especially though, when packing tying equipment, like my goodness, uh, you can, you can bring too much. So I'm, I'm happy to focus. And, um, you know, we're, we're truly blessed to live in Colorado. Um, yes. you know, I was out fishing a front range lake last weekend and I was doing it in a t-shirt and here we are in November. Yep. Um, You know, we've got, we've got incredible options that just not a lot of fly anglers have their eyes open to, uh, which is unfortunate because it's, it's world-class and it's within two hours of Metro Denver.
1: Yeah. Well, good luck, my friend, on all that. I I wanted to shift gears a little bit as I'm, I know, and our, our listeners should know, is that you also work for Umpqua Feather Merchants, and you've got some new product and so forth out, and you've sent some to me. I was specifically wondering if, if you wanted to give a little plug on uh, the tippet that I've been playing with. That That's intriguing. I'm, I'm usually thinking tippet is a commodity, but I'm liking this stuff more. Tell me why I like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's actually what I'll be fishing uh, down in Tasmania. Um, we have Uncle launched three new kinds of tippet this year, a a new nylon. What's unique about that nylon, really quick, is um, nylon uh, is is not a very dense material, and so it actually absorbs quite a bit of water when you're fishing throughout the day. And as it absorbs water, it loses a lot of properties, the biggest one being its overall tensile strength and knot strength. So our new nylon uh, has a hydrophobic coating on it, which resists that water absorption. So um, super cool advancement in nylon, and our price point stays the same. Uh, but the really cool advancement came with the product you've been fishing called Phantom X. And all of our, all of our Tippet material is, is, has an X at the end of it because we want to help educate anglers to better understand this whole X-rated system that exists within Tippet and leaders. Um, you know, 0X through 7X.
1: And, 5X. Um,
0: how do you, our angle as a fly company, is Umpqua, is how do you demystify some of that and really get the best presentation for your fly possible And that's done by pairing the appropriate size tippet to the appropriate size fly. So choosing your flies for the day and say, all right, I'm going to fish super tiny stuff because we're going to go fish tailwater in Colorado. Um, I'm probably going to want to fish 5 and 6X. But the the Phantom X tippet um, was a really cool breakthrough breakthrough for us in the fact that um, a lot of the advancements in monofilament material, and that's both, both nylon and fluorocarbon, um, has come out of the textile world, right? So, uh, DuPont, uh, who's got an incredible R&D budget, was working with um, with this this vendor that we use in developing this new super tough material that they wanted to start putting into uh, racing suits for motorcyclists, right? So if they hit the ground and skid, they don't, you know, tear apart their whole body. Um, but what they did was the uh, and, and we're utilizing is is a layering system, right? So you've got a, a a fluorocarbon core, but then, like we see in a lot of other technologies, like um, like in camera lenses or, or fishing optics, um, is you put coatings on top of that really nice base. Wow. And tease out different properties.
1: Well, it works. It works like a works like a charm. That's for sure. I I'm kind of up against my time here, Russ. I wanted to wish you good luck. First of all, you're going to report Thank back you. to us as soon as you. You come back uh, and say good day to all my buddies down there on Penstock Lagoon. and uh, I will. Knock them. Knock them, sock them, and do your very best and have fun, and I'm sure you'll finish with a smile like you said.
0: Yeah, thank you. And and for any listeners that are, are curious about this and want to see it unfold, you can follow along with us at Fly Fishing Team USA or at Umpqua Feather Merchants uh, on your favorite social outlets.
1: Sounds good, my friend. Thanks again. That's Russ Miller. And this is Kirk Dieter, filling in for Terry Wickstrom on 104.3 The Fan. That's the way you
0: do it. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors,
1: presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Kirk Dieter here, filling in for Terry Wickstrom on the Terry Wickstrom Outdoors show, 104.3 The Fan. And I'm joined now by J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. J.R., how you doing?
2: Kirk, doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Of
1: course, of course. Hey, listen to... Talking about clays, and we spoke a little bit earlier this week, and, you know, this is the time of year when I'm doing a lot of shooting that's different. You know, if I'm hunting pheasants, they're going one way, and if I'm waiting for the geese in the pit blind, they're coming the other way. I need to tune up uh, with different types of shooting. How can practicing on the clay course help me out?
2: Well, and uh, you bring up a couple really good points. So, Kirk, of course, Colorado clays, all of our shotgun fields, ranges, their courses are open And available, uh, whether you are an individual, maybe friends, families, bachelor, bachelorette parties, uh, maybe a company party or corporate and fundraiser stuff uh, year round. So that is always a good reason to come on out here. But specifically, when you start talking about these bird seasons coming up, um, you can take advantage of some specific training for what you're doing. Now, we do have, of course, our training trap. Uh, which is really good for the kids and beginners or somebody who just needs to just confirm stuff. Uh, We have the seven ATA trap fields, a couple of skeet fields with wobble trap overlays, and then our 15 station sporting clays course. So those are all good in themselves. Now, often, and what's been happening a lot lately, these guys are getting ready. Uh, They want to just pattern a gun. They want to make sure that gun is shooting where they're looking. So... Uh, we do have a patterning area. I think it's only $10. We'll get you an aiming point and get you confirmed that your gun is doing what you want it to do to start with, uh, specifically for certain birds. Now, I think we all know any uh, trigger time and training and practice is good, but uh, when you start talking about the upland games coming now, uh, nothing beats uh, some time on our wobble trap. Why the wobble trap? Well, it's a ground-level um, flush representation so it's already going to give you that upland bird look Uh, the trap wobbles not only left to right which is the oscillation but also up and down so you can literally see uh, about any possible bird flush representation from this trap and with it overlaid on that skeet field um, you can do a multitude of angles and distances so that's our number one game there uh, the sporting place course, I had a couple guys coming out uh, getting ready for some sandhill crane hunting, and they wanted to practice uh, specific uh, shots that might represent cranes over decoys. Uh, they're down there right now. So um, all of this stuff combined gives you really uh, options to practice any shot you can imagine you're going to encounter out in that field.
1: You know, and you're right that it, sometimes I've found that it could be one small thing, you know, where your feet are, the way you're. Eyes are, you know, it's just one small thing, and it never hurts to reinforce once you find the the right thing um, to make it me- muscle memory, so to speak. So super cool. What do you got going on? I know we're approaching the holidays. Um, I've got family members coming into town. Uh, you've got some events and stuff and things that we could do as a family. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, Kirk, and you're right, and I'll tell you, we're doing – out here what we've been doing for nearly 23 years and that's offering everyone in Colorado whether you live in the metro area along the front range or really anywhere in the state the easy and convenient access to Colorado's premier public shooting facility and uh, that always features the very finest in rifle pistol, trap, skeet, wobble trap and sporting clay shooting opportunities Uh, of course we do it year-round with no membership required our entire property is handicapped, accessible, uh, everything is state-of-the-art, and we operate with, of course, the friendliest and most knowledgeable staff in the industry. But specifically, when we're talking about this holiday season, like you mentioned there, Kirk, uh, a lot of folks do have friends and family in town, and Colorado Clays, of course, is a very popular destination for the recreational shooting uh, while those folks are in town. And i got to say, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, that Black Friday, um, that's quite a rat race out uh, at the malls, and a lot of people just forego that and decide to come on out to Colorado Clay's and enjoy some shooting while everybody else is chasing their tail. But uh, something else to keep in mind is while you are at Colorado Clay's, you can actually get some of your Christmas shopping done. Um, we have lots of uh, different types of gift ideas in the clubhouse whether it may just be a hat a t-shirt uh, we have hoodies stickers and pins uh, all of that you can shop through while you're here and get that colorado clays gift for those people on your list but okay. probably the number one uh best option kirk is going to be a gift card from colorado clays. I was just going to ask
3: about that That's yeah so awesome. they
2: can get out here and do whatever they want whether it's uh whether it's merchandise shooting uh, instruction, ammo, anything. So it's the perfect gift.
1: It sounds perfect. Sounds like a a good excuse for me to miss out on Black Friday shopping too, uh, or at least do my Black Friday shopping out there. Tell tell us all again how to find you, where we where you are, and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm,
2: I'm... all right. Well, best thing, give us a call three zero three six five nine seven one one seven. We can give you all the information you need, or visit our website ColoradoClays dot com. And while you're there, if you don't know Colorado Clays, certainly take the virtual tour of the facility. Uh, it's going to show you what we're about and uh, what a great place this is.
1: Well, I really appreciate that very much. Um, wish you the best for the week coming ahead. I know it's going to be a busy couple weeks for you and busy season coming ahead. And uh, you might just be seeing me out there in the next few days. I've got a new gun that I need to pattern and I need some help with, so.
2: All right. Well, it sounds like playing, Kirk. Uh, Nice talking with you, brother.
1: Thank you very much. And uh, okay, JR, we'll we'll talk again soon.
2: Okay, thank you. Thanks.
1: Kirk Dieter again filling in. Terry Wickstrom on 104.3 The Fan.
0: You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer.
1: All right. Kirk Dieter here. Filling in for Terry on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, 104.3 The Fan. And, you know, this week is uh, started on Monday with Veterans Day. Uh, veterans Day week is important on a number of levels. And I've got with me Mike Banaszewski, who's TU's new Veteran Service Partnership Director. And we want to talk about some of the programs that we've got to get veterans and active service, uh, active duty service members in the uh, into the outdoors. Mike, how you doing?
3: Kirk, how are you? Thanks for
1: having me. It's, Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, I was talking earlier on the show about fishing and, and fishing's more, more about the people that I'm with nowadays than it is about the fish themselves. I don't remember, the you know, if I caught this brown trout or this rainbow trout or okay. this pike, but I remember who I was with. And that's certainly the case when I'm out. Uh, typically, I've done a number of events where I get to go and fish with the veterans who are coming back from overseas and otherwise. And uh, it's just a really impactful, important thing for me to do. Um, so thank you for facilitating some of that stuff. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of what you're up to and what the programs are.
3: Well, thanks, Kirk. I, I really appreciate it. Um, so uh, first off, a belated happy Veterans Day to all the veterans, the active duty servicemen and women, uh, reservists, their families. Thank you all for your service. Uh, you know, myself, I'm a, a 29-year veteran of the Department of Defense, and uh, taking this uh, position with TU is a tremendous honor for me. Um, with TU uh, Veteran Service Partnership, just to to give a little bit of, of bubble leveling on what we do, um, we are the means by which Trout Unlimited engages with the active duty, uh, reserve, um, veteran, and uh, family communities. Most importantly. Uh, to bring them into TU and help them experience the, the full spectrum of our uh, engagement and our activities. Um, you know, we have a, a tremendous partnership with Project Healing Waters, which we provide events and some fly tying, fly casting type training to our disabled veteran community. And that's a tremendous, tremendous partnership and a tremendous resource. But we also have a, a huge uh, network of, of chapters nationwide that engage at every level from youths with the Trout in the Classroom program to their Headwaters Youth programs, where we have youths out doing conservation events, all the way up through college, where we have the Costa Five Rivers programs in college. And what we do with, with VSP is we, we use our network throughout the country to, to bring those communities together. Uh, the the veteran community in particular, the active duty community, it's a tremendous resource. Um, these are these are born leaders. These are service oriented people. These are a diverse group of people, um, and they they bring tremendous value to Trout Unlimited.
1: Yeah, they certainly do, and they bring tremendous value to the overall fly fishing or outdoor community. That's for sure. Um, if I, if there's someone out there who's listening, who's maybe active duty or a veteran, and they've, they've heard about some of these programs, but they They've never quite dabbled yet. How do they make that point of contact or how do we reach them? How do we get them into the family to make sure that they are able to access and enjoy some of these opportunities?
3: So as, as you've probably covered with, with some of the other folks today, I and mean, we have in Trout Unlimited, we have 387 chapters nationwide with 36 state level councils. Every one of those chapters has a veteran in that community, no matter how small, um, the best way for folks to connect with that is through our website we have www.tu.org forward slash chapter search one word chapter search and what that'll do is that'll give you a map of the United States and you can drill down to your to your street address it'll tell you exactly what chapter um, covers the geographic area you're you're living in who the leadership is and how to contact them
1: great and and is, is this something that goes year round as well? I mean, if someone's listening now, it's November. Maybe thinking, maybe more of shoveling snow or skiing and things like that. But heck, <laughs> you know, is this something yeah. that we can get on that right now? Yeah, I've
3: I've heard people in Colorado like to uh, ski as much as they like to fish.
1: Now, <laughs> fly fishing
3: uh, and and the veterans engagement programs we do are year round programs. Um, the trout in the classroom programs, you know, we we. We actually work that as a year-round uh, program so that the trout can be released in the spring. Um, a lot of the chapters do conservation-type events, even through the winter, and they do engagement events. You know, they're, they're having fly-fishing film nights. They're having, you know, just inviting people over for a beer and, and a, a chapter meeting, get to knowing the, the community. Um, fly time. You know, most of us that are, are active anglers, you know, we spend the winter's uh, – tying a lot of flies it's a great way to get started in the in the community
1: my my fly tying i've gotten to the point mike where i i learned 10 patterns and i <laughs> i'm production tying 10 patterns and you'd be very proud of me every march my fly boxes are meticulously organized and everything's laid out, and all the stuff that I've tied and worked on over the winter is just ready, and by about June 1st, it looks like a jumbled mess. And, oh, yeah, <laughs>
3: absolutely. If it doesn't look like that, you're not trying hard enough.
1: I know, and I wear that proudly. I, <laughs> I have them on my hats, stuck in my shirt collars, on my visor yeah. of my car, all sorts of stuff. Well, anyway, so, um, <laughs> yeah. but you also get some, there are events also where we actually do get out on the water itself, and that's Pretty impressive to me. I've I and I know that I think, if I were to count, I've guided and fished with lots of people over the years. But if I were to count, the ten most uh, you know, that made an impact on me, watching somebody land a fish, and hold the fish, and look at the fish, and appreciate the fish, um, I think probably more than half of those were with the Healing Waters folks.
3: So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in in the last in the last year, Kirk. I mean, just to give folks a, a sense of scale. I mean, we we just through VSP have engaged with over four thousand vets with I think seven hundred different programs that the chapters and the councils and at the national level that we've put on. We've grown um, by ten chapters this past year. Um, to, for us, you know, some of the real focus of all those those events that you're referring to are about training the leadership. You know, so that we have a, a cadre of folks that are, are well versed in how to work with the military, how to work with veterans um we we train them every year we did a a second event earlier this year on the white river we brought in about 25 vsp leaders from across the country trained them up and now they're going to go out and train at the state level um if i could we have a tremendous partnership with taps the tragedy assistance program for survivors you know we i think we had our sixth annual uh retreat this year for gold star survivors Mm -hmm. on the madison river and then we also do a lot with uh, couples um, we had two events in, in this past year at the national level, where we worked with partners on the Upper Delaware and in uh, uh, saw Creek. Um, again, if you if you see the the responses of people that participate in these events, it is always positive and it is always incredibly inspiring for folks that that, that work in this community.
1: Yeah, for for me, I mean, it's it's amazing. Um... What the, what the personality is like or what the experience is like at 9, 9.30 in the morning and what it's like at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon after we've caught some fish. I mean, people just open up and, and you feel like you've been um, hanging out and fishing together for years and years and it's really just been a matter of hours. That's, a, that's the power of the river and the outdoors and it's in work and nowhere is it more manifest than in this type of environment in my opinion. So.
3: Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how many lifelong friends I've built on the water. It's, it's incredible how quickly that occurs.
1: So going forward, what are your goals? What do you want to do? What, what do we want to build from here? Are you more chapters, more different things, different types of events? Um, tell me where you're going. You're new, yeah, no, are new on the team. i put you on the spot. I'm sorry. I, not at all. Not at all. No, no, are, no. you've been no. on with with us for a few uh, what weeks now, and uh, three whole weeks. Three whole weeks, and I've already got you on the radio in Denver, calling in from Washington. My goodness, that's that wasn't very fair of me. But I, I not at all. I, I'm excited.
3: I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk about it. So we're definitely looking to expand right now. Out of the uh, 387 chapters we have nationwide, we have about half of those with active uh, VSP coordinators. So we're definitely looking to reach more and more of the chapter level folks to get them engaged with the veterans in their communities. Um, Some of the other things that we're working on right now, we do have a a centralized toolkit of resources available to the chapters to help them set up um, those programs. This year, we're gonna be building that out further, um, making it a little more uh, accessible through webinars, videos, Uh, And again, through the train the trainer cadre that we talked about earlier, um, we're working with our um, partners, our current uh, development partners, to develop additional resources, financial resources, so that we could perhaps create a matching grant program, so that we could start helping these chapters that perhaps have a little bit more uh, restrictions in their funds with providing them some some, uh, equipment and some training. And our, our national trips program, we're looking to expand that a little further. I covered that a little bit, um, but we would definitely love to do more uh, on the couples events side of things and the train-the-trainer events, do those more frequently. Yeah. I'm also going to be really working with, with your team uh, on our marketing and our social media presence um, throughout the year.
1: Yeah, that's that's something I'm looking forward to. There's someone if they're listening in the audience right now, and they're not necessarily a member of TU or maybe not even – Uh, a veteran or a member of active duty. Um, But they just listen to this and they say, this might be something I want to get involved with. Can they, can they, are they invited as well?
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Trout Trout unlimited. We want you, you know, to put the uncle Sam poster (laughs) in your mind. I mean, we, uh, you know, if, if you're an active or reserve member of the armed forces, a veteran or a family member, you know, we want to connect you to our network of anglers and conservationists across the country. Um, as I mentioned, every community has veterans in it uh, that can benefit from our approach and from who we can benefit from their engagement. Um, to the current, you know, TU members and chapters, I would tell you, I'd say get out and engage your local communities um, and find those, those, those servicemen and engage with them. I think you'll find a very willing uh, population looking to to do this kind of work, to continue their legacy of service through conservation work. Um, and it can be something as simple as a cup of coffee. Um, and again, if, if to folks listening, if the work of TU sounds inviting, sounds like something you might have a passion for. Again, I invite you to find your community at www.tu.org forward slash chapter search, and that'll that'll get the the process started.
1: Well, Mike, I've got about one minute, minute and a half left. And uh, I'm just going to give you the floor. If there's anything else that I've failed to touch on or something that you wanted to touch on specifically, I'm happy to hear about it. And, uh, again, I'm, I want to thank you for coming on board with TU. Thank you for the work that you're doing, and, and know that you've got my support all the way going forward.
3: No, thank you so much for, for having me, Kirk. Um, it's a pleasure to, to talk with uh, Colorado regarding uh, the Veterans Service Partnership. You know, I, in closing, I would just I would just highlight, you know, there is Colorado is such an area of tremendous opportunity for VSP. Um, you have 47,000 active duty and reservists in Colorado right now. That's a tremendous number between Fort Carson, Peterson Air Force Base, the Air Force Academy, Schreiber Air Force Base. You know, you've even got a, a very healthy population of Canadians at NORAD who would, who would love to work, you know, as partners with you on, on conservation events related to fishing. Um, you know, I would love to see Colorado really expand its, its VSP. I think it's it's a tremendous area um, with a lot of potential, and the natural resources in that state are just phenomenal. So it, it's a perfect storm of, of natural resources to your chapters in a military community ripe for VSP.
1: Well, you know, um, as, you were, as you were saying, we do like to ski and fish, <laughs> and often at the same time. I'll have to show you about that sometime. I, like it, <laughs>
3: I'd love to see it. No, I think <laughs> I think that that's the
1: next the next step is that we build this program out. Is that you're going to have to come out and pay us a visit, and we're going to have to hit the water with some vets and some uh, active duty folks, and 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 plan on doing some more of this, and uh, not only uh, you know next spring, but all through the summer and, and beyond. So um, you're There's always invited. Table lo- on that one. Kirk. Yeah, you you're you're always invited, and we'd love to have you out. Thanks so much. Okay, well, we'll be talking a bit later. All right, and, Kirk. All right. Thanks, bud. Well, thanks again to everybody who listened in today. This has been a, it's kind of a, a dream come true for me to be able to sit in my friend Terry's chair and fill in and talk to good friends about fishing and shooting and all the things that we enjoy to do here in Denver and the Colorado area, the cultural center of outdoor sports that it is. Um, it's been a long journey for me and to be able to sit here and talk to some folks and, uh, Know that some of you out there are listening. It means a lot. So I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. Do please stay tuned. Um, Next time, uh, Terry will be back, and and you want to hear the pro himself doing his thing. I would love to come back myself and uh, be a guest or sit in again anytime. So with my thanks and wishing you all the very, very, very best as far as your fishing and hunting and outdoors and exploring goes with your families and friends. This is Kirk Dieter saying thank you again.